Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, welcome back, everybody. Good evening. I pray that we'll have a really good session tonight. We've got some good stuff to talk about. And uh, welcome back to our live broadcast for Oikos Ministries. If you're, uh, we're, we're going through a, a subject we're, we've titled Suffering Loss, dealing with the suffering that happens after loss, and really an encouragement to be healed, of, let our hearts be healed after we've gone through the injury of loss. And so uh, we've been going through that. If you'd like to catch back up on this, if you're not here, you can always go to our website, www.housechurchesusa.com and go to our audio, our podcast. It's on all kind of stuff. You can listen and get back with it. So without any further ado, we're going to talk about tonight uh, comfort, that we can either choose comfort or refuse comfort. So that's our subject tonight. In 2 Corinthians 7th chapter, let me adjust a little bit so y'all don't know exactly, just y'all looking at my clock there. All right. And so uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, it's been our, our, our literally our basic text that's going to, uh, that we're using throughout this entire message. And uh, I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it just basically says that godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. And so we have this issue that there are two types of sorrow. Basically, there's two ways to go through grief. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's either the sorrow, uh, what's called a godly sorrow or a worldly sorrow. Now, basically, sorrow is identically on, uh, identical in either way, whether you have God in your grief or whether you're doing it uh, without God. I mean, basically, you're going through this with no faith or belief in God. Uh, but basically, when you go through a, a, a suffering of loss, if any kind of grief, and whether it be relational, financial, job, marital, it could be all kinds of loss that we go through in life. The trauma that comes with that, uh, that post-traumatic stress disorder, God has blessed us with the ability that once we go through a trauma, stress levels kick in, our bodies begin to produce uh, uh, adrenal, uh, uh, lots of adrenaline to help us go through this time of, 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 of weighty time of stress. And the problem comes in when uh, the disorder comes in, when we stay stuck in that and the body continues to release these hormones and, and chemicals. And it literally you stay in it long enough and it will create a chemical imbalance. It can make you sick. You can go into a disease and it can literally kill you. Godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation but the sorrow of the world works death. So that's our topic. Now, I want to do a little word association game with you right now. If I were to say the word repent, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Most people say sin, repent of sin. Now, certainly we are to repent of sin, but I think there's so many misnomers on this subject that I want to go through it just a little bit. The word repent simply means, it's a Greek compound word, metanoio. And it literally means to change the way you think. Okay? Hear that carefully. Change the way you think. This topic can be pertinent throughout our Christian walk. As a matter of fact, it's one of the six doctrines of Christ, and it's, it's paired with foundation, the foundational doctrines of repentance and faith. And I believe throughout our entire Christian walk, we will have to employ the, the, the doctrine, the understanding that our minds need to change, okay, in order to have faith. And it's amazing that, that, that these two foundational doctrines that number one, repentance changes how we think. Faith is to be fully persuaded, that we are absolutely persuaded that God will do what he says do. And so, and with that in mind, as we look at that, the idea that as a Christian throughout our entire Christian walk, we're putting on the mind of Christ. We're being renewed in the spirit of our minds. We are being changed in our thought patterns. And if I could go back over a little bit of ground we've already gone over, over time, our physical brain develops 
pathways, like almost like the old vinyl records, tracks to run on, and our thoughts know where to go. And, and we develop habitual patterns of thought. Trauma is literally creates a brain injury. And it, it can be, you know, varying in severities, but the fact is that trauma of any sort can affect your thoughts. And I, I like to use this illustration. If we just punch yourself in the hand, immediately there's a sensation that knows we've disrupted the natural order of this hand. We tingle, we, we feel it, our tendons respond, and there's a whole broad spectrum of communication that goes through all our nerve endings, through the brain, and back to the hand, telling us we've just experienced a blow to the hand. And, it, and, and so God has gifted us with these things. Now, what happens when a real trauma hits, and it hits the mind, that it disrupts our natural patterns. And if the trauma was strong enough, it's not like we return instantly back to the same pattern of thought. Literally, it creates a, 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 a rerouting in the circuitry. And then literally, we, the, if, if it's not dealt with properly, that it could go around that injury and never find another pathway to connect the dots. If I'm making any sense to you, I, and, and this is a real scenario. It's a real injury. And I want to talk more about this because I believe that when Jesus talks about healing the brokenhearted and every passage, if you go back and really begin to study this in your scripture, that when he talks about healing uh, and, and basically the, the idea of salvation and healing, the same words, the blood of Jesus Christ, the same thing that forgives sins. And that's kind of our problem. We've limited the blood of Jesus to the forgiveness of sin only. Now, I know in the charismatic world and others that they've really taken off with the idea of healing. And we see lots of circus type acts that uh, claim there's healing. And we see many people falling down and all kind of whatnots, but very few people actually getting healed. And so I'm literally on a quest to see that change. I believe that we can see the power of God begin to heal us. There's a great passage in the, uh, well, actually there's numerous passages where when Jesus would complete a teaching, they said they were astonished at his teachings. Then they were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished literally means to strike a blow. Oh my goodness. It means to strike a blow. Astonished means to strike a blow. And so the teachings of Christ had an equal impact that tra traumatized the mind. As a matter of fact, I believe when the traumas of Jesus come into the thinking, that it literally finds a brand new pathway of thinking that's not according to worldly thinking. And I mean, it can literally shift you where you have brand new waves and patterns that can be developed and see you healed. And I think it's a wonderful thing. So this is really the basis of our subject. So when I say the word repent and someone's going through a grief, I'm not fussing at you saying you're, you're sinning. I'm telling you, there comes a point in your grief to change the thinking. And that's why we're titled tonight, Choose or Refuse. And I want to go through a few passages with you on those who have refused to be comforted. All right. That's the word. We're looking at comfort in the midst of grief. I'm in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start with old Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel. He had a son named Joseph, and I'm not going to read the whole passage. I just want to take what's absolutely pertinent to what we're going to talk about tonight. He had a son named Joseph. His brothers were very jealous of Joseph, and they literally had thrown him into a pit. And then they saw a, and to, to try to kill him, really. And then they found a group of Midianites that were passing by. So they pulled him out of the pit, sold him to the Midianites. And then they did a terrible thing to their father. They basically took Jacob, uh, Joseph's coat of many colors. It was his own personal coat that everybody knew him by. And they dipped it in the blood of an animal and literally sent it to their daddy and said, something killed Joseph. So a terrible thing to do that. I'm going to pick that story up right here. And Reuben... I'm in verse 29. Reuben returned to the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes or he tore his clothes, which is a, a Hebrew sign of, of grief. They would tear their clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, the child is not and uh, I wither and uh, and I wither shall I go. And so basically Reuben wasn't in on the plot. He did not know what was going on. 
And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped it in the coat, the coat in blood. They sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. <coughs> Excuse me. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. There's our little phrase. He refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave and to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. This is a tremendous picture of that, that builds the, the point that I'm trying to make tonight. There's a place in our grief where certainly we're in an uncontrollable grief. We have no control over the emotion or the, or the, the things running through our minds when we've suffered that kind of grief. But there is also the place where you, I mean, look at here. He refused comfort. They were still trying, all of his children were around him trying to comfort him. He said, I don't want to be comforted. There comes a place where you can literally reject all attempts to come. This is a decision. This is, goes past the uncontrollable emotions or thoughts that may come with grief and accompany grief. Now, the fact is, though, when we see the steps in the process, he rent his clothes. And really the picture in the old Hebrew words of grief literally mean to rip the clothing or pull the hair out and beat the chest. Grieving, I mean, screaming like a gorilla. I mean, ah! You're literally losing it because you have lost. And, and, and so the suffering of loss can accompany with a, a terrible outburst of uncontrollable grief. And many times, depending on the person's personality and all, all the, their own belief system, the whole nine yards, this can just literally stay stuck and you never really get past it. Now, I'm not trying to any way, shape or form saying that when we've lost someone near and dear that we move on, just forget it. You know, that's not what I'm even suggesting. But I can tell you this much. You can live after loss. That is a fact. You can continue to live and you can actually get your life pulled back together and certainly have gone through this trauma, but literally find grace in the grief. So he rent his clothes and I want you to see this. He put sackcloth upon his loins. Now, Sackcloth is exactly what you think. Now, many of us don't know what sackcloth is any longer. If you ever had burlap bags, uh, they are really nice. I mean, you take a burlap, but you do not want to make a garment out of burlap. Trust me, you less, even less want to make underwear out of them, especially a pair of drawers. So when I say burlap, I mean sackcloth on the loins, we're talking about right there. And we're talking about an attempt to continue to remind yourself and prolong the grief. I'm like, wait a minute, I could have, you know, wore some silk or something, anything to comfort, but he refused comfort. I don't want comfort. I want, I'm hurt. I want to stay hurt. I'm grieving. I want to stay grieving. I'm mad. I want to stay mad. I've suffered loss. I want to continue in this depression. I mean, this is an active choice many times. So when we see this picture and we see this often. They put sackcloth on for repentance. Uh, they did this as a continual reminder that it would just rub them wrong and rub them raw until they, they're, they're, there was literally a pain associated. And it had nothing to do with the soul crying out. It had everything to do with, man, this just hurts. And, and, and you're very uncomfortable and you wanted to stay that way. Like it's, like it's going to help the, the dead if you continue to be in pain. It's not. It's just not. And it's not going to do their memory any harm if you begin to live again. It's not. Now, I mean, if they drop dead and you walk up and say, hey, y'all, let's go play football or something. No, uh, th there's a problem. But if in a, in a reasonable period of grief, in a period of time, you know, and, and look, and this didn't put some period on it where you say, that's it, we're through grieving, let's move on. No, it could revisit you many times, and it does with all of us who have suffered loss. Okay? But I want you to see this. Watch where it goes. And all of his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, for I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. 
Thus his father wept for him. Now, this is a tremendous picture of the refusal. He refused to be comforted. I do not want comfort. Now, there's another passage, and I I didn't put it in here tonight, but it it just came to me while I was talking. There's a place where it says, when when the the sons of Jacob were explaining to Joseph, who was literally now the the, uh, second in command of all of Egypt, he was explaining to Joseph what it uh, about Benjamin, their son, that, that Pharaoh had demanded that, or Joseph had demanded that they send Benjamin to uh, Egypt or they would not release Jacob's other sons back to him. And, uh, they, and, and they said, no, we can't. We've already lost one brother. And our father, if he loses Benjamin, he, he would surely go down to his grave mourning because his life is bound up in the life of the child. I want you to that his life is bound up in the life of the child. I believe we can get so inordinate with temporal relationships that our life is totally bound up in someone else's life. Listen, I totally understand marriage and the two becoming one. And it'd be a horrific thing to lose our spouses. I understand close relationships, father, mother, sons, daughter. I understand close friends. I get it. I do. I really do. But the fact is, if we... Allow as Christians now, if we as Christians allow our lives to be so bound up in the life of another human being, we've got to realize that this flesh is temporary. I addressed all this last week, that all flesh is like grass and the flower of the flesh is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The only thing we have that access to eternity right here on earth is the blood of Jesus, the word of God and the spirit of God. These eternal things that literally we can embrace and place all our hope in the eternals of God. And if we're so bad up in the temporary, surely we could fall into a worldly grief, bound up our life in the life of one who's dead, and a worldly sorrow would work death in you, and you would be you would die with that person. I, I mean, you'd content, you'd quit living. You literally would. What a terrible, terrible thing. Now I, I've noticed this too in the in the three passages I'm going to share with you tonight that every one of them have a wonderful hope attached to the end of it. And so if you look at verse 36, where I stopped reading, and the Midianites sold him, Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Now, in the mind of Jacob, Joseph was dead. Okay, he was gone, would not come back. But in the providence of God, certainly he would have his son back again. And it would be as though one rose from the dead. This is a tremendous picture, and I believe we'll always Uh, give us the hope that allows us to be comforted. We as Christians do not sorrow as the world does who has no hope. The world believes this is it. You die and then you go in the grave and the worms eat you. I I don't know. The, 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 The Christian hope is that we die and we come up again in the resurrection and live forever with Jesus Christ. And so this hope literally takes our worldview way past the temporal we settle it straight up, right up front, that I, my body is a temporary thing. Everything around me is temporal. My home, my land, my presence here on the earth. This is temporary. It's a fleeting moment. But the word of the Lord endures forever. There is an eternal life. There's also an eternal damnation. And we need to be aware of those things so we could be healed when the traumas of life come to us. Folks, you may have suffered tremendous tragedy. What a terrible thing to have the report that your child is gone. Uh, It's a terrible thing, but I can tell you this much, there can be healing and you can continue to live. Let's turn to another. I want you to go to Psalm 77. This one impressed me so much today when I was studying. This is King David. I love David could really articulate his heart. That's why I've always loved the Psalms. And King David was so anointed to kill you, but he could weep with the best of the most tender-hearted people in the world. I mean, he was tender-hearted. And here he is. I I love this Psalm. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 1. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And so the picture here 
is a real searching and a crying out to God. This is a prayer and we'll see as it develops. He said, and he gave ear to me. God began to listen to David in his cry. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Now, let's, I'll read it and then I'll get back to it. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Now, Selah means to think about this. So let's just hold this right here and uh, we'll get back to the rest of it in a minute. King David cried out to the Lord and God began to hear his cry. I mean, he was in a communion with God and he said, I sought the Lord. He began to seek the Lord in the midst of trouble. Now, I know one thing when I get in the series or in a place of troubled distress, that's what that literally is meaning in the place of my trouble. He was so distressed, so distraught. He was going through an inner turmoil and it doesn't define what exactly that was in this particular song, but he was going through it and he was processing right out loud. He said, I sought the Lord in my trouble. I was distressed. Sometimes when our problems stack up, God is the furthest thing from our mind. We're gnawing on that problem. We're looking at the, the problem and not to the solution. We continue to look at it. And, and it's really amazing. We get in the middle of this thing and, and, and we, we're, we're, we're so distressed. We're so burdened. And by the way, stress is one of those things that release all this extra adrenaline. And it's really a fear-based behavior if you get down to it, especially when you're just in an anxiety-induced stress and you're just literally gnawing on something and won't let it go. I can't pay the bills or, oh, I'm having trouble at work or, oh, this person bothers me or you just name your fill in the blank to your personal distress and you stay fixated in there. And, and, and I'll tell you right now, you will get chemically imbalanced. I'm just telling you, this is the problem. You know, people say we don't know what the cure for depression is. The Bible tells us that anxiety in the heart of man makes it stoop or causes depression. And so the Bible says that the fear-based behavior in our heart will make us depressed. Well, it's no wonder today when so few have faith and many are turning away from the faith that now they're, we're literally turning to pills. Let's medicate everything because we have no way out of our distresses. I'm telling you, we're in that kind of situation today. And I want to tell you the, the, the side effects of prolonged stress, the disorder, stress disorder will literally create every kind of malady in your body that you could imagine. And so these are problematic. And I believe that many cancers and sicknesses and diseases and arthritic conditions can be traced right back to distress, prolonged distress that has no end. Now watch, I sought the, listen, I sought the Lord in, in my distress. Look and listen to what it says. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. Now, that sounds gross in the English thinking. My sore. I mean, what do you have some kind of ooze here? But that's when I went and looked this up, my sore, it literally was a reference to the hand. And it had the, 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 the idea behind it of either a closed hand or an open hand. In this sense, he said, my sore ran in the night. Basically, my hand was open in the night. I could not grasp. I couldn't control. I had no ability to hold on to what I was dealing with. It was escaping me. I could not get a hold back on it. It literally escaped me in the night. And when I see the things, this is part of what happens in trauma. Everything gets out of our control. And let's face it, we all have a little bit of control freakish in, in it somewhere. We all like the stability of saying, I've got this under control. We like it when our finances are under control or our emotions or our, our thoughts are under control. Uh, it's terrible to be in control of people. But I can tell you, when we, we like our lives to be somewhat in control. But let me tell you, when we come to the realization that nothing is truly in your control, that anything can go in a heartbeat, just ask Job. And so when we think about it, his, he was losing control of whatever it may be and whatever you may be losing control of it. Well, here it came. My sword, my hand, it was running right out of my hand. I could not hold on to what I needed here. 
and my soul refused to be comforted. Now look at this carefully. His mind, his emotions refused to be settled down. This is a tremendous picture. I don't believe what we're seeing here is David saying, no, God, I don't want you. I don't see. I think Jacob was saying that right out loud. No, everybody back up. I'm sad. Want to be sad. You're not going to make me happy. Don't even try. I don't see that at all in this passage. What I see is David coming to a crossroad inside the inner turmoil in his life just refused to stop. And I've heard so many in horrific grief who cannot get it back together. That's why I love this psalm so much. King David almost leaves it right there. My soul, my very life, my emotions, my my mental capacity, my decision, my reasons. I could not bring this all back. And it just refused to, to get back to normal. I remembered God and was troubled. Think about that. It even made it worse when he brought God in. I was troubled. I can only speculate here, but I could, I've been there. I understand what he's talking about. When I think about the idea, I know how God wants me to be, but my emotion, my inner man is out of control. It's not just really latching on to God here. It's not really latching. Man, I ain't just shining with the fruit of the spirit right now. I'm sure none of you out there in Facebook land don't. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you get in this terrible thing and and you get into the presence of God and, and it's like you're more troubled. You don't even know what to ask God or what to say to him. How do I deal with this, Lord? Here's the I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So everything in David's inner man was literally overcome where here's God's presence and he cannot commune properly. And that's where he leaves it. It says, Selah. Think about it. Think this through. You've been in, 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 in turmoil. You've been in grief. You've been in a, a hardship. You've suffered a great loss. You've received damage. Do not forget that the hit was so hard it probably created some kind of injury. And it's trying to reroute and rewire. And even God shows up and you don't, you still don't know how to fix it. Selah. Here's the beautiful part. When you start reading in verse four, all the way to verse 20, you hold my eyes waking. I'm troubled. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old the years of ancient times. I call to remember my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made a diligent cert. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Boy, what questions. Did David not have faith? No, not. It's totally different than that. This is a man of faith in a dilemma. This is a man of faith who's saying, Will I ever get it back together? Some of you have been there. I've been there. And I wonder, can I ever get this back together? I'm rattled. I am not me. I love what one old fella that used to go to our church said, I wasn't at myself. That's a terrible condition when you're not at yourself. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Think about it again. All these questions were running through David's mind. Will I ever get through this dilemma? And I think many of us have come to this same place. Where's God right now? Where is he? This is the time I need you most, Lord. And I am literally feeling like I'm in this by myself. This is what I really like. Watch carefully. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, we Christians 
we, we're post-David. We know who the right hand of the Lord is. His name is Jesus. He said, wait a minute. I'm a, I, I will, look, this is my infirmity. I'm in this dilemma. I, I, I got all these questions for God. This is my infirmity. And you leave that alone and it will turn to a literal infirmity. Okay? But I will remember the years. He began to remember back at the mighty works of God. I wonder if his mind went back to those days in the in the fields with the sheep and the psalms came to his heart and he began to sing and play on his harp. I wonder if it went back to the days he faced Goliath and the days in the fields running from Saul and the miracle after the miracle after the miracle. I wonder if it went back to all the valiant efforts that King David made and the powerful conquest and he began to really focus on the testimony. Look what God brought me through all these years. Come on. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember your wonders of old. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings. See, all of a sudden there's a shift taking place in David's mind. He's choosing. His soul was refusing, but then David was forcing a choice. I choose. I'm not going to look at the problem right now. I'm going to look at God. I'm going to look at the solution to every problem that ever came to this planet. I'm going to look to God. I don't need to restate one more time what the difficulty is. I don't need to restate the question because I know the answer. It's the right hand of the Lord who doeth valiantly. It's he who will tread down my enemies. Come on, watch what he goes on to say. I will meditate. Think about this, folks. When your mind is literally pulled toward the loss of that loved one, pulling toward that financial loss or your own loss of health. You're pulled in a direction. Your mind is saying, look at this trouble. Look at it. Look at it. And then after a while, you just get it together and you say, I ain't looking at that no more. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at God. I ain't looking at the problem. I'm looking at the answer. And you hear them whispers. No, look over here. Look at your problem. Look at it. No, I don't. I, I know what's over there. Look over here. Look, look over here. No, no, I've been there. There's no solutions there. I'm going to stay focused. Stay with it. Watch carefully. <clears throat> when you can get into the place of meditating on the work of God in the middle of your trouble. And when I say that, people say, oh, you're talking about meditation. Christians don't meditate. That's Eastern religion. And oh, you'll get a demon. No, we're so dumb. Look, meditate literally. If you've ever been around livestock, cows chew the cud. You know, I love to watch my cows. I got, I got cows. I love my cows. And they'll sit there and they just, they lay on the grass and they just, I'll call everyone by name. They never even glance. Hey, come here. Uh-uh. Unless you got food, they'll look. But the, if you just call my name, I ain't got no time for you. I'm meditating. No, literally, meditation means to roll it, revolve it around in your mind like a cow chewing a cud. I ain't going to let this go. I'm going to meditate on what God has done for me. I'm going to meditate on His great salvation. I'm going to meditate on those days when he brought me out of my trouble. I'm going to meditate on those days when he healed me, when he delivered my soul. I'm going to meditate on that. Watch carefully. Watch what he says. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. It's in a worship time. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that do wonders, that declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw you, oh God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. He's talking about Moses at the Red Sea. Man, the sea looked at you and said, oh, open up. Come on, King David done went back there. He done went back to the roots of the deliverance of Israel. Oh, wait, I know I got a redeemer. I know when trouble, I'm up against it right here. There is a, an enemy behind me and a, and, a, and a roadblock before me, but God opened the sea. The water ran away. Come on. I remember that. He meditated on that. I imagine in the, the hearts 
and and the and the uh, and the mind of the uh, the eye of the mind. It, he literally was watching those waters part, and he, look, all of his problems were just falling off. Come on, watch careful. The clouds poured out water. The sky set out a sound. Your arrows also went abroad. The voice of your thunder was in heaven. The lightnings lightened. The world, the earth trembled and shook. The way is in the thy way is in the sea. Your path in the great waters. Your footsteps are not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Oh, come on. Boy, he stabilized himself in the redemption of Israel. He went all the way back to the Passover and saw the great deliverance that God worked in the nation of Israel. Folks, if we today as Christian can see this, then I believe and I've always understood the Exodus story as really a picture of the entire new birth in the Christian to the Christian that Lord literally we were all in bondage to Pharaoh slash the devil our bondage of sin we were Egypt literally is the sin and Satan had us in bondage in sin and God sent a great deliverer not Moses one much greater than Moses his name is Jesus Christ and he was the Passover lamb. And that blood of Jesus Christ was struck over my doorpost, over my house. And the death angel passed over and I began to live from that day forward. The Bible said he sent out his word and he healed them. And not one feeble person was among them. Come on. Come on. King David is chewing on this. All his troubles falling aside. All his hurt, his pain, his sorrow, all the complaint and the questions he had before God were falling aside. And he's remembering something. He's remembering the deliverance of Israel. And I want to tell you, Christian, if you're a Christian today, you remember the great salvation that God did inside of you. When he delivered you from the devil. It's the new birth, folks. Remember your new birth. Get it all squared. Remind yourself, hey, head, I got something to say to you. Quit talking to me. I'm going to talk to you, head. I lost something temporal, but my God is eternal. Who is a God like my God? Huh? My Redeemer is alive, and I got a greater than Moses right here in my heart of hearts, stabilizing me. Healing me, delivering me. Come on, Selah. Man, stabilize your own self. Encourage your own self in the Lord. Worship your way right out of the heaviness of grief. Come on. Uh, some of you people out there making comments, they're writing in tongues almost in there. So, hallelujah. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. I love this one. I, I kind of like all the Bible. I said, I love this verse. I like this one. I get so excited because I just really feel like people are getting healed. I really do. I, I ain't trying to conjure up some nonsense. I'm just really, I've been getting so many comments of healing. And, and I pray that right now somebody is really pulling this into their own spirit. I, I, I even know now just the, the, the voice of this healing word, this, the, the, the word of faith going right into your heart. That some of you are pulling that right into your life and it's stabilizing you right now. It's just uh, the peace be still is coming into you right now. Loving it. Look here, Jeremiah. Now, a uh, little background. Jeremiah is discussing right here the return now little this is so cool he is a great prophet he's discussing what will happen when israel returns from the babylonian captivity which hadn't even happened yet <laughs> so yeah i like good prophets all right so here we go we're in jeremiah 31st chapter 15th verse and like i said the back story there is that uh, that Israel is returning. He's going to call all the people back after having judged them in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. He's going to call them all back. And there's a very familiar passage that we're going to get to. Look at verse 15. Thus says the Lord. Now, remember, he's calling them all back. There's happy days. Boy, I'm, everybody's dancing and shouting. We're returning. Woo! Happy day. Now, then all of a sudden, we got all this rejoicing and party down and let's go. Thus says the Lord. 
a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. What happened there? What happened all of a sudden? Man, we had them all coming home. And then all of a sudden, wah, wah. Rachel's weeping over her children because they are not. Now we all, if you've been around Christianity and Italy at the time, maybe if you go to your uh, your Christmas service or whatever, and they read the Christmas story and, and, and about after Jesus was born, this is what happened. Fe, uh, uh, Herod had all the babies two years old and under killed because they wanted to try to kill Messiah. And Rachel, really a picture of, 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 of the patriarch, Jacob's wife, Rachel was lamenting, weeping over her children because they were not. They were dead. Wow. Refusing to be comforted. Nope. If I had a nickel for every time someone said, you don't understand, you're trying to comfort them. They say, you don't understand. Like that's the criteria to stay in a worldly grief that somebody has to understand. You don't understand. I'll admit, there's a lot of details to a lot of lives that I do not understand. But is that the only criteria? I'm hurt and I'm going to stay hurt. You don't understand. There's no greater love than a mother's love. I take a session. There is a greater love than a mother's love. I want to tell you what, when you look at the cross of Christ, no greater love ever happened than that God let his son die in our place. So when we say, you don't understand, let me tell you what I believe. If we look at this passage carefully, keep reading with me. We've just read verse 15. Rachel's weeping away because her children, she refused comfort because they're dead. Now watch, verse 16, thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping. What? What? God told them mamas, stop crying. But you don't understand. I guarantee you God understands. Stop re weeping. Don't even let your eyes cry. Don't no more tears. Y'all ever get a whooping in your mama's? Dry them tears up. How? You just beat me. Huh? For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. What? Who will come again? Your children will come back from the land of the enemy. What? There is hope in your end, says the Lord, that your sh children shall come again to their own border. Oh, somebody ought to shout. You hear what I'm saying? God just said, oh, oh, oh dry it up, mama. Stop crying because I'm going to raise them babies from the dead. What you don't understand is all you get, you don't understand. I love it when God said, no, you don't understand. You see, all you know is the nation of Israel, that people lived, got land, and their names were further along, and they inherited land and property, and they just kept that going. Uh-uh, I got a brand new kingdom called the kingdom of God, and the king of that kingdom is Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, and he's going to die in your place, be buried, and on the third day raised again, and there will be a new kingdom, and it's not Israel. It's the kingdom of God that knows no borders, no boundaries, and no end. And I'm telling you, when I establish my kingdom, I will raise your babies right out of the grave and raise them up to life again, and you will see them again in the end. You don't understand. Get this. You see, the cure and the basis for all hope is the resurrection from the dead. Come on. Everything's temporary. But I want to tell you, our eternal God is going to breathe life back into these dead bones. And we're going to get up. Boy, praise Him. Isn't that good? Hey, maybe we don't understand. Huh? You don't understand. You know what? I seek to try to understand the resurrection of the dead. I get it. I looked at enough dead folk in my life and I've killed enough stuff. I've killed like lots of, I shoot stuff. I, I hunt. I kill stuff. All right. Butcher farm animals. I do all that stuff. Let me tell you something. I seen death, seen dead people, buried a whole bunch of folks. You know what? I get it. 
They ain't there no more. They did. You can't, you can bump them, holler at them, spit on, nothing happens. They're gone. But what I like is the resurrection from the dead. I want to, you see, you don't have to explain death to me. I get it. We all going to die. But let me tell you, I want to explain this resurrection that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is working in the Christian life. And you may be in sorrows wild. You may be in an uncontrollable sorrow that you don't think you could ever recover from. But at some point you remember and you put your focal back and God says, drop him tears. Stop it. You don't understand. Quit weeping. You're going to get your babies back in the resurrection of the dead. And I'm taking better care of them than you ever could. So woman, get your mind right. Now you can get mad at that and just say, I don't want to be mad. You don't, you don't understand, preacher. I, well, I don't need to. I don't guess. But I'm trying to get you to understand something. God is a God of life. He's not the God of the dead. And you can mourn yourself right into death, but I believe God wants you to live. I got one more verse I want to visit before we stop. I got to practice a lot of restraint when I'm reading these verses. I'm going to tell you right now, these are these are hollering verses. These are, these are the kind of verses that make me want to just shout. You see, and you know what's really weird? I've preached most of this stuff at funerals before, and I'm just trying to, mm. you know, I don't want to do, I'll go nuts up there at the front of the place when the people are grieving they're dead. But I can tell you right now, this makes me want to shout. I don't stay grieving long, too long. <laughs> Sometimes I'll grieve more than I do, but I'm in Genesis 24. Just confessing in front of everybody. Just saying all my sin. All right. Genesis 24. I love this one. Because this one ain't about refusing comfort. This one's about receiving it right up in there. Pulling it right on in. Y'all ready? Anybody want to get healed tonight out there? You, you've been grieving. Oh, I, I look. This is a good one. I'm going to read the whole thing and we'll talk about it. Verse 61, Genesis 24, 61. And Rebekah arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the well, the way of the well of Leharoi, for he dwelt in the south country and Isaac went out to meditate. Oh, he's meditating again. Oh God, deliver us from meditation dear Lord. He meditated in the field at the evening tide and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold, the camels were coming. Oh, somebody needs to see their camels coming tonight. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the candle. Oh, come on, boy. For she said unto the servant, what man is this that walks in the field to meet us? And the servant has said, it is my master. Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac, all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her, Rebekah, into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. She became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Ooh, what a picture. See, I believe when we look at this picture, Isaac could be all of us. Isaac had just lost his mama. Sarah died, a great woman, the first matriarch of Israel, woman of faith, had a baby at 100 years old. Come on, boy. That's faith right there. That's resurrection power. That is a awesome thing to meditate on. So here is this uh, Isaac weeping over mama. He was the, the miracle. He was the literal miracle of God born out of due time. His name, it was such a, a, a weird miracle that his name is laughter. Because, I mean, woo! He, she, she did what? Could, can you imagine you got there at the nursing home and there's that woman sitting in there with a big old pregnant belly? What y'all been doing? Huh? You know, I'm sure your mind wouldn't go, I'm, I'm, I gotta say something. I was girl, what's wrong? What happened? How'd that happen? Come on, tell me to testify. You're a hundred. 
Isaac, laughter. Come on, it, just his whole testimony make you laugh. Boy, that's, that's hilarious. It's funny. And so Isaac, he wasn't laughing too much because mama's gone. We don't make light of such things. But in the meantime, the backstory is that his daddy done sent for a new bride to come in. He don't know it, but their servant Eleazar done gone to the land of their nativity and brought back Rebekah. Lots of miracles took place. Here comes Rebecca riding on the camels. Come on, I hope somebody can see their camels coming. Bringing Rebecca. See, I believe Rebecca is the picture of the Holy Ghost. I really believe Rebecca is the picture of the person of the Holy Spirit. And he saw, he's meditating in the evening. He said, God, I miss mama. God, where's Eleazar? What's, what's going to be? How's this life going to go? He's meditating. And then all of a sudden he sees the camels and Rebecca and Rebecca sees that. Who's that guy in the field coming over here? That's the man. That's your man. Look at this. And Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. See, Sarah occupied a place, a tent. Isaac brought Rebecca into the place that his mama used to occupy. There's some of you right now with a void so big in your heart, mind, emotions. It's the place where that person, that loved one, that cherished one or thing used to occupy. And now it's gone. But I want to tell you, God has something to bring into your heart. The Bible says, and he brought her into Sarah's tent, into her place. You say, well, don't even tell me I'm going to replace my loved one. Oh, I ain't telling you that. I'm telling you, he brought her into her place. It's still Sarah's place, but look, it's the presence of God in the place where your loved one used to occupy. Oh, come on. Pull this right on into your heart. And he loved her. You see, to me, the whole picture of worldly sorrow is that I will never love again. I'll never give my heart again because it's too painful for loss. But I want to tell you tonight, living is loving and loving is living. There's no fear in love. Perfect love cast out fear because fear has torment. Man, we love God because he first loved us and he'll put his love back in us. And we can pull the Holy Spirit right into the void left of that thing we lost or that one we lost. He'll occupy it. And you could be comforted. But you got to love again. I really believe this is the picture of really solidifying your covenant in Christ right in the middle of hurt. Letting that come in. Jesus Christ is our healer. God bless you. I pray you have a good week. See you next week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.